You are listening to First Church Charlotte. We commit this service, we commit this time of opening the scripture together, we commit it to you. Lord, there's a a limit on anything that we can do in the efforts of the flesh, but in one moment, your spirit can do what we could never do. And all across this house, I pray that your Holy Spirit would touch us, that you would fill us with divine unction, oh God, that you would commission us for the kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. One more time, put your hands together. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. Before you're seated, smile at your neighbor and say, man, it smells so good sitting here by you. I am doing part two of a series I started last Sunday entitled Heart for the House. And in that message, I introduced an offering that we will take annually for our church. And I told the story of David desiring to build a house for the Lord. And the Lord considering in the scripture, do I have need of a house? I've never thought about it. You read the passage, it's almost as though the Lord's saying, look, when did I ever ask anybody to build me a house? Huh? Let's think about this. The Lord doesn't get cold like we do. He doesn't get wet when it rains and a strong wind doesn't bother him at all. And he responds to David's desire by saying, huh, let's see. Perhaps, let's see. But then what he says before before anything else, he, said, he says to David, he said, look, you desire to build me a house? I've already built you a house. You desire to, me build, to build me a house? I'm going to build you a better house. And through the lineage of David comes the, the true saving of uh, humanity, the true salvational accomplishment that happens through the life, the family, uh, the heritage of King David. I'm going to continue today talking about a heart for the house, and I want to talk a little bit about what that will mean for us. You, as members of First Church, you know we don't take up special offerings. Um, I haven't taken up a special offering that I can remember in probably five or more years. Um, I'm not saying we haven't, I just don't remember it. We, we haven't done that. We, as an operating style, we tend to organize church out of the, the giving that is in our, uh, that flows from you and through you to our church. Um, I kind of inherited that tradition from my my dad. It was a season of our lives, uh, my memories of this church, where we had to take up an offering, and that was when we were making the note on this building. And every uh, every month, uh, dad would get up here and he'd say, well, we've got to take up an offering to pay the note on this building. And um, you could always tell if it had been a lot of blessing in the church lately because he'd start the first givers at $500. And uh, if no one took it, then we dropped uh, to 250. And if no one took 250, we didn't drop to 100. We dropped to 200. <laughs> and then when we got down around 25, that was my cue that I was supposed to give something to. And we did that for years and made the payment here. The Lord has blessed us as an, a congregation that we've been able to order the financial needs of the church out of the really out of stewardship. Um, we don't take up special offerings as a result. Uh, we take up offerings. Obviously, everything we call everything here costs money. The chair you're sitting in cost us about 50 bucks. Uh, everything costs money. Uh, you get that. We get that. But um, once a year, I do want to take up an offering. And I want to make this commitment to you as the lead pastor of this church. 
the annual offering that we do that is for uh, the work of God here. It will only be used for direct ministry. It will only be used for direct facility needs uh, or for paying off the debt of that of of our uh, the assets needed, the buildings, the vans, all of that needed to do ministry. And none of it will go to make payroll. Uh, we won't be used to pay the light bill. None of it will go to me uh, or any other of our pastoral staff. Uh, this is direct ministry only. We'll do this once a year. Our ushers are going right now to begin to pass out some slips that we've be- prepared for you. Today will not be the only day we take these up. Um, today, however, will be the first day that we take them up. I just want to do it today in an intentional manner so you'll understand. Most of you received a letter from me this week. If you have, if you are on record as being a contributor to our church, you received a letter from me uh, explaining the offering uh, and what and why we are doing it. And so, uh, heart for the house. I want to have a heart for the house of God. Can I have a big amen? I want to have what moves God to also move me. So I want to tell you a story. It's a ministry story. It's a story you all will have heard preached from many times. And as all biblical stories show us, there are depths to the story and there are details. And each one of those details is very, very rich in uh, ministry and in, uh, in, in, in spiritual instruction and teaching. I want to say it's an honor to work for the Lord. How many of you feel that way? It's an honor to do anything for the Lord. Um, so many of you are involved in ministry and giving back and serving. We're honored to have Brother and Sister Judd here today. Uh, fun fact, this morning between services, I was sitting at my desk, and you guys had sent out a, a letter from the Tupelo Children's Mansion about the increase in students and needing more beds and mattresses, and I put the letter on my desk and wrote sent offering on the letter <laughs> and so I walked in and it was like the Lord was saying here am I behold thou shalt verily send forth an offering so uh, we're going to help you guys with that and send you an offering on that um, we we all of us must remind ourselves that the God the, the Lord the Lord did not add us to the kingdom because he couldn't do it without us he added us to the kingdom because he didn't want to do it without us true story. Um, I make my kids work with me around the house, not because they help. They slow me down. But I'm not just living in a house. I'm raising kids. And they need to, they need to learn. They need to struggle. And um, it can sometimes drive me nuts to wait while my son tries to fumble through a toolbox and find a screwdriver. And then show up with a Phillips. And I just, I'm like, really? I mean, at 11, you're essentially useless. Just go to your room. (laughs) Honestly, if you are a, if you're a frantic worker, I'm a frantic worker. If I have something to do, I don't want to, I don't want to visit. I don't want to visit. If you visit while you work, it will stress me out. I'm a frantic worker. I want to get it done. Because when I was growing up, if I didn't work that way, my brother would beat me. And so, um, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) I'm teasing, mom. Um, That's my personality. And so, to, to, to ask my son to do something like do this, it just, honestly, it would just be easier for me to do it. But um, he needs to do it, and I need him to do it with me. The Lord could have done all of this without us. But the beauty of the kingdom is his divine inclusion. Because we cannot know him without seeing his heart. And you cannot see his heart if you're not involved in his work. You can't see the heart of the Lord from the bleachers. 
That's why it's so important as a church that we not be a, a, a church that we observe, a, a church where we watch what someone else does. You will never know the heart of God until you're in the harvest field seeing him work. The greatest testimonies will come the closer you get to the cutting edge of God's work in your world. Now, I would like to tell you, you'll feel God the most powerfully if you like go to some monastery and then you don't speak to anyone and you kind of hide in your closet all day and you just think about the goodness of the Lord. I, I would like to say that in my experience, I felt God more powerfully when I isolated myself, but I would be, I would be misrepresenting uh, my experience. My experience has been simply this. The closer you get to the actual cutting edge of ministry, the richer you experience the power of God in your life. In fact, I would say for most strong believers, a path to spiritual renewal is not vacation, but teaching a Bible study. Now that may have shocked you. Um, I really didn't intend to say that, but I want you to see there is no renewing like you see God beginning to work in your world. When you see the love of God beginning to embrace people in your world, you see your family being touched. You see your children being affected. That is the highest, greatest thing that can happen in, in our lives. And so this story here in Mark chapter number six, where you, you, you see the, the first time this, this moment in, in scripture is the first time the Lord has sent his disciples out to work by themselves. Before they've all, they've always watched him do it. So, uh, the, the path of teaching is, is well established, and you guys know this. The, the, first, thing, the first thing that happens is uh, you watch me do it. Uh, second thing that happens is I tell you how to do it. And the third thing that happens is I watch you do it. Uh, that's the process that's happened here in the ministry of Jesus. They've watched him. They've listened to him, and now he sends them out. Uh, they're not ready yet. This is fairly early in the ministry of Jesus. Um, but even so, they are trying their wings. They are... Uh, seeing what they can do. And so the Lord sends them out. He sends them two by two. Uh, you will remember the story. And interestingly, uh, he needs leaders who know how to trust him. He needs leaders who know how to do a lot with a little bit. And so he tells them how to go out as a, a preparatory. Um, in other words, if you can do this and it doesn't scare you a little bit, you're not going to learn much from this ministry experience. So we're going to make sure you're terrified. This is great proving ground for ministry, by the way. So I don't want you to take any food with you. But what about dinner? Yeah, exactly. I don't want you to, I don't even want you to take an extra coat. What about cold weather? Well, exactly. He preps them to completely depend upon the provisioning of God in the work. He preps them for that. And so he sends them out two by two and they go out and they, they do this uh, first great missionary effort, you might say. And they come back in Mark 6 and 31 and they tell Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, they tell Jesus, all that they had done and all that they had taught. And then the Bible says, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't have a chance to eat. He said to them, look, come away with me to a quiet place. They have been so involved in the work of God. They are physically exhausted. They are very hungry. The work of God burns a lot of energy and that's why preachers eat so much. And so <laughs> they're very hungry. <laughs> 
and they have burned a lot of energy and they've come back to tell Jesus and the crowds have come with them. Don't let any Buddy, ever tell you that the world is not hungry for God. They are hungry for God. There's not a problem with the field. Sometimes there's a problem with the workers in the field. So Jesus told us to pray for the workers. But the, har- the harvest is white and ready for harvest. And so uh, they go out and they... They come back and the needs come with them. They don't have time to eat. They're tired. They have been traveling. They have been, they're, they're drained. They're sick of people. Anybody ever been sick of people? They're sick of people. They're sick of needs. They're sick of, they're really starting to sound like a preacher's Monday right here. They're just, they're, they're tired. It's been successful, but exhausting. They come back and Jesus knows how tired they are. So he hustles them all into a boat and he says, let's, let's find a quiet place where people uh, won't bother us and nag us. Let's go hide. Let's go reboot. Let's go take a break. It's time for a vacation. Praise God. Hallelujah. In Jesus name. That's, this is exactly what ministry feels like. And they, they, but there's this interesting that happened, thing that happened. Evidently, Jesus keeps them uh, close enough to the shore where the crowd just follows along the seashore. And when they get to where they're going, uh, guess who is there ahead of them? You can't get a break. You just can't get a break. The disciples are, are not uh, very happy about this. And you can read this story uh, in verse number, in verse number th- uh, 33, 34. Uh, the multitude saw them departing. They ran ahead of them. And when they arrived where they were going, there was already a great multitude. Now, there's two responses to overwhelming need. There's two responses to overwhelming need. Uh, we've probably, each of us has experienced both of these responses to overwhelming need. The first response is the right response. It's the Jesus response. It is the way of the redemptive life. It is to give yourself holy. It is to be sacrificial. It is to take up your cross and carry it. The first response is the response Jesus has. He sees the multitude and the Bible says he is moved. That's a, 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 a Greek word, intentionally. He, he, is, he is emotional at seeing them there ahead of them they are it's perhaps they did not they thought they would get away and he sees he's moved in his spirit he is emotional when he sees them and he has compassion on them and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd now there's nothing more pitiful than sheep without a shepherd because sheep have been so bred and so domesticated by humanity that sheep will not survive wild they aren't like horses they aren't like uh, dogs Uh, sheep will not survive uh, a sheep will not even fight back. In many cases, sheep won't, won't even run. Uh, a predator can kill many, many of them because they, are, they have been so domesticated uh, for uh, living with uh, human care that uh, uh, nothing's more pitiful than sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're truly victims. They are, they are um, <laughs> death waiting to happen. They are helpless. Jesus sees the crowd that way. Um, that is one response. That is the way of the redemptive cross uh, to see need like that. Now the disciples, uh, they have a much more human result. They are exhausted by this. They, uh, they, 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 they really just, they ask the Lord, look, would you send them away? They asked the Lord. They had a prayer request. Lord, would you send them away? 
This is their request. Now, this is a very human response. I'll be transparent and say this is very, uh, if you spend much time in ministry, there'll be moments where you feel like this, really, I I just can't deal with this right now. What you're really saying is, I don't want to, and I'm tired of being good. I want to be selfish for a little while. I want to maintain my inner world. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Just leave me alone. And so here... The disciples have a very human response. And they're like, Lord, please, in the name of Jesus, send them away. I've been to churches like that. They didn't really want to reach their city. They were mad if you took their seat. And God help you if you took their sparking spot. You were truly of the demonic breed if you took their sparking spot. Um, so uh, they, that's a, uh, this exhaustion, this weary, Lord, send them away. So on one hand, you have Jesus. He is moved emotionally at their need. And you have the disciples who are like, I just, I can't deal with this. I need a break. Um, I, I want to show you, I want to show you how easy it is for us to fall into this, this habit. Um, because if it's always, you see, ministry isn't always, uh, it certainly isn't convenient. But not only that, sometimes. Sometimes it's unattractive. Sometimes it's exhausting. And if it was a kitten, then you could do the right thing. But it's not a kitten. It's a snarling bobcat. It's a skunk. It's a possum. Oh, this, this side of the church is really quiet. Is this the possum side of the church over here? Um, ministry often, often, and I want to, I want to, I want to be transparent with you here today. And I, I want, I want you to, I want to say, I'm, I, I am just as susceptible to this as anyone. And if, if ministry was, if it's just right, you know, if, 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 if the individual, if I think they, they deserve help, then, then I, I feel good about it. But there's a lot of people I feel like they're a bum. I feel like they're, I feel like they're just being lazy. I feel like they have a practice victimology and they just go around wanting someone else to get up early so they can sleep in but that's not a statement of ministry that's a statement of my flesh Um, I've been praying recently that the Lord would help me to see people when it's natural from natural for me to see them uh, with great distaste uh, or even contempt for some of their choices I've been praying the Lord help me to see uh, with empathy with compassion now this is hard uh, so I, I told the 9 a.m. service this I didn't plan to but I figured since I told them I might as well tell you um, and that and that is this I I there, there's probably a person or two in your life who you so you so disapprove of the choices they have made with their life. You, you so disapprove of the things they've done to loved ones or the choices they've made or the way they've treated people in need. You so disapprove for them that you, you have contempt for them. You truly feel contempt for them. And I'm just like you. There's a handful of people I've been exposed to over the years that I so deeply disagree with choices they made uh, when they did something, uh, when they, when they, when they sinned in some way, when they took advantage of a weak person in some way, when they, when they hurt a, a weak believer or a child, and I have such contempt for them, there's this part of me that wants to say, you deserve anything you get. I hope you suffer. Now, I know you guys are all saved, and y'all wouldn't feel this way, but this is me. And I, um, I had, there's a certain individual in my life I'm occasionally exposed to, and yesterday I was in a situation where I was very close to them, um, and I realized um, that I, I, I had, I realized I just, so how do I say this where it will teach you something uh, and not make me look good? So um, I had contempt for them. I so disagree with the choices they have made that I realized I would not even make eye contact with them. 
They would come near me and I would intentionally orient my body language away from them. And I wouldn't even look at them. And here, I'm supposed to be a preacher. I'm supposed to be preaching about Jesus. Well, here's the thing. I, I've been praying lately that the Lord would identify identify uh, my failings and help me replace uh, condescension with empathy. And so uh, the problem with praying about things is the Lord will answer your prayer. <clears throat> I hate it when that happens. I know. I'm like you. Uh, I, I'm sitting there, and I can't even look at this person. In fact, I looked at him, and I actually, I actually felt some physical, like, revulsion. I so disapprove. Now, you, none of you know these people, so don't try to figure out who it was. Um, just because Dewan's sitting over here doesn't mean that you didn't. Just kidding. It's my son right there. Um, anyway, uh, so I, I wouldn't even. I would, and, and the Lord just tapped me and said, "Hey, you know how you've been praying." Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know how you've been praying? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, this is a good example for you to see yourself. What you're feeling right now is contempt, as though you're better than them. You, did, you made better decisions. That means you're better. You did not do what they did. That means you're better. This, remember what we've been talking about? Yeah. This is what we've been talking about. And I, I felt such a, a realization of how easy it is for us to, be con, to have contempt for people who are outside of our comfort zone uh, when we disagree. Um, we don't see them as a broken person trying to make sense of their world. We see them as a loser, as a sinner, as a shame, as an embarrassment. We don't see the broken person inside. This is a difference in how we see people and how God sees people. You see, God sees past their decisions and sees the child they love. When you have children, it doesn't matter how crazy they are, because I have some of the craziest, and I love them little suckers like you wouldn't believe. How do you think God feels about people? The Bible, again and again, gives this image of him reaching for the lost. Now, as a pastor, it's, it's, it's easy for me to enjoy a church filled with people that I am secretly quite proud of. Sometimes not so secretly quite proud of. Um, and it's easy to, as a pastor, kind of get into this competitive state of, uh, you know, oh, they have a great church. Oh, that's a money church over there. And oh, oh, that's an educated church over there. Well, let me just tell you a little bit of secrets here. We've got money in this church. And we got education in this church. But this is not a money church and this is not an education church. This church is a mission church. Does that make sense? And we have to live that way. We have to respond to the overwhelming need that meets us every time we put foot on the shore. Every time that we have to respond with seeing them not through the eyes of the flesh. I need a break. I need a vacation. I need me, me, me. We have to see where we're moved in our heart and we see them as Jesus. Jesus sees them. They're hungry. They're lonely. They're broken. They are so desperate for spiritual guidance and spiritual acceptance that they leave the city and they walk over the hillside trying to keep a small boat that has filled with hope just inside their view. And they're walking and they're as fast as they can trying to keep that boat that's down there. There's somebody said there's someone in that boat who could heal them and they're walking as fast. They don't want to be out climbing over a hillside but there's a promise in that boat down there. And I've just got to keep my eyes on that boat. I've got to keep Keep it inside. I can't let that get out of his sight. Are you tired? Yeah, I'm tired. But there's a promise in that boat over there. 
Maybe he can help me. No one else can help me. Maybe he'll love me. No one else can accept me. Maybe he'll make a play. I've just got I just got it. So much of the desperate seeking of humanity is they're seeking for hope. They're seeking for it a meaning, something to make sense of it all. Seeking for something that kind of puts it all together. And they're just trying to find that hope. And when they give up on finding hope, that is when the enemy is able to destroy not just who they are, but everyone, everything they could have been in God. And so the desperate crowd's chasing the hope that's on the horizon. And when Jesus sees them, he doesn't see them as obligation. He is moved, emotionally moved, that they are sheep without a shepherd trying to find someone who can speak to them, who can keep them, who can protect them. This is the competition. And so uh, that it, the, the contention that's going on in, in lives, they don't know what they're searching for, but they're hungry for something. And someone said there might be an answer over there. Uh, Jesus moved with compassion. You guys know the story. I'll just touch it briefly. Uh, he asked the disciples something very, very profound. He asked them, um, do you guys have any food to feed these people? Now, this is, the, this is such a rhetorical set-up question. It's almost hilarious. It's such a set-up. Jesus has sent them out on a missions trip. What did he tell them to do? Don't take any food. He sent them out and said, don't plan and prepare. He sent them out. They would do that later in other missions trip, but at the beginning, they have to learn to trust God. Do you see? And he, don't, don't even take an extra coat. You're going to trust. In fact, the point of this is for you to learn to trust. I want you to go. They go. When you leave with nothing, you know what you come back with? Sometimes you come back with something, but most of the time you come back with less than when you left with. And now you're hungry. <laughs> You're like a college student who goes to the, I used to go to Wendy's and uh, you could get crackers there for free. They used to have them on the table. Anyway, enough about Bible school. So uh, that's back when they had tacos at uh, Taco Bell, 39 cents. Seriously. You, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And once we got married, my wife and I were sophisticated. We found oodles of noodles then, five for a dollar, five for a dollar. Water's free. Hallelujah. Bless his holy name. <laughs> Uh, don't be fooled. Just, just because my wife has money now don't mean she's always had money. First she got me before she got money. So she knows what it is to be broke. Um, money don't grow on elm trees, as we like to say. I told that to my five-year-old. She said, but daddy, money's made out of paper and paper comes from trees. <laughs> I kid you not. My five-year-old girl said that back to my face. It's a rebellious generation. <laughs> And so, uh, do you have any food for these people? This is more teaching. This is more teaching. It, uh, Jesus knows they don't have food. He, need, he, wants them to, he wants them to think about it. He wants them to see. He doesn't want just them just to blunder through it. He wants them to see, do you have any food? I'm going to do a work. Uh, I'm going to do a miracle, and I'm going to do it with what you have, not with what you don't have. <laughs> That's some fine preaching. I, 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 just because they didn't say amen right there doesn't mean you should be discouraged. That was some fine preaching, and you should just push on in grace and hope and confidence. The Lord wants to do a miracle, and he's not going to do it with what you don't have. He's going to do it with you, what you have. So quit talking about what you don't have. See, I told you that was some fine preaching. Stop talking about what you don't have. Stop talking about what you don't have. Stop talking about what you need. What is stopping you? He's going to do a miracle, and he's going to do it with what you already have but I don't have much exactly that is the point of the miracle you don't have much he's going to do much with it (laughs) 
What do you have? The question of the day. What do you have? Not much. <clears throat> well, what do you have? Go find some food. Figure out what you have. Why? Why don't you just do something? You're the one with power. What do you have? And they scrounge around. And in the manner of uh, ministers everywhere, they go steal some boy's lunch. <laughs> we don't have nothing, but there's this child, and he said he would give. And so we found five loaves and two fishes. I want you to see the imagery here. One of the uh, images of the miraculous and the comparison of, of humanity versus God in the Scripture is this ratio of one to a thousand. You'll see this repeated in Scripture in various places, and these are just off the top of my head. Like, for example, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. There's this one to a thousand ratio of what we can do versus what God can do. Uh, one will put a thousand to flight. Two will put ten thousand to flight. There's this, 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 this order of magnitude difference. And so what the Lord's going to do is he's going to take five loaves. Somebody say what they have. And he's going to feed 5,000 people. What he's not going to do is start with something they don't have. That's the wrong lesson. Because that creates a church that expects God to do it all. That creates a church where it expects God just to, we're going to sit back and like the critics say, uh, our father saw manna rain down from heaven. That would be a cool trip. Um, why don't you show us some manna raining from heaven? No, God's not in the business of giving you what you don't have. He's in the business of multiplying what you do have. So what do you have? How many of you would like to discover a 1,000 multiple of what you have? Now, you can work your whole life trying to multiply what you have by a thousand, or you can let God put his hands on it, and God bless it, and God multiply it. And the multiplication will not be quantity, it will be mission. What do I mean by that? It's not as though this is a formula whereby we have five loaves of bread and we turn it into 5,000, then we go into the bread business. That's not what this is. There is five loaves of fish and five loaves and two fishes that feed 5,000 people. It's not about the bread. It's about hunger. It's not about the bread. Do you see? And so it is that we as a church, we must be aware that the miraculous happens. It happens when God blesses what we have. Because as long as you are impressed by what you don't have, you'll never do much for God. It's just a human thing. It's not personal. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean you're lost. I'll leave all that with the Lord. I just want you to know, as long as you're impressed with your problem, you will never be impressed with your miracle. You've got to some way get past the things you do not have. There's a lot of things I don't have. But what God has given me is everything I need. Therefore, believe. This is the path of ministry, and this is the lesson that Jesus will teach his disciples. He blesses he multiplies what they have and the mission is the result 5,000 are 5,000 are fed so it is in our lives that we we take what we have we we, we allow God's blessing to be upon it uh, this idea that we give it uh, we lose it when we give it that is so flawed because the miracle is going to feed them too remember they don't have any food either <laughs> 
so the miracle's going to feed them too. And they give, and the miracle happens. Um, I, as I've mentioned several times, I was able to go to uh, the Outreach Conference, which is sponsored by um, Outreach Magazine um, in Colorado Springs um, recently. And uh, many different churches, many different uh, theological backgrounds, Not uh, many of them are not really of our tribe, so to speak. And um, yet all of them, I was so impressed with their zeal and their sincerity and how hard they work and, and what they do. And I, I was able to listen to about eight of the uh, t- uh, fastest growing churches in America. Pastors were invited to come tell their story of what had happened that had catapulted them into the, the fastest growing churches in America. Um, and I, I was, ex- I don't know what I was expecting. I, I, I think I was expecting kind of a, a system where, you know, well, we did this and this marketing plan worked for us and, and that marketing plan worked for us. And then we tried this and then we in- developed this new uh, fellowship and then we had kids football league. And then it's one thing led to it. I, I don't know what I expected, but probably some version of that. Um, and every one of them told the same story. Now, they hadn't compared They hadn't compared notes before. They all came in for this. They all told the same story. All of their stories were some version of this. We found where the city was hurting, and we went there and loved people. All of them told the same story. It was astonishing. I just sat there. Don was with me. We just, we another one to get up there, and he'd start talking, start telling the story. Two of the churches were there um, in the city when there had been mass shootings. Um, and uh, one of them, one of the pastors from Florida, there had a mass shooting there last year. And uh, because he had a relationship with the school department, they called him to go out there. And his, him and his pastoral team got there uh, right. I mean, the, the, they're still calling kids off uh, in, in doing uh, treatment right right there and and the parents are gathered around and people are falling on the ground welling their kids have been killed and just a horrific scene and he said uh, if you think and he told all he said if you think we got there and knew what to do you're crazy we, we had no idea what to do he said people uh, students are just uh, uh, holding each other sobbing parents are uh, just uh, anything you can imagine um, he, we got there we didn't know what to do either but they asked us to come so we went and, and we went there and he said we just started going around and, 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 and hugging them too and, and praying with them and, and praying for families and sitting with people and uh, his church doubled last year as a result of they went to the pain in their city. Let me tell you where people are hungry for God at the point of their pain at the point of their hurting. It's very rare for someone who has everything together to come to God and be ready to be changed by the Spirit of the Lord. But when they are broken and when they are hurting, it is as though there is an open door of spiritual opportunity. Where is the city bleeding? We need to find that and we need to go there and say God loves you and we want to help you in some way. Where is this city hurting? Where is the community around us? I am in the process right now of of, of setting up uh, uh, intentionally setting up meetings with uh, anyone I can talk to from nonprofits uh, to the uh, police chief. I'll meet with the mayor. I'll meet with this. I've I've asked people to help me with this. We're in the process of doing that. Uh, I want to ask them this question. How is East Charlotte hurting and what can we do to help? Because I believe in that place of brokenness, the balm of Gilead is applied. It's astonishing to me that the most common thing God did to manifest his heart was to heal people. Everywhere we went, he healed people. 
He manifests his heart through healing people. He came to make us whole. He came to bring uh, true wholeness to us spiritually. And musicians, come. I'm, I'm closing with this. I, I, I want to tell you about a church that was almost 200 years ago, went through a crisis. Um, this is a church that was in London, and as you will remember, um, if you remembered anything from your um, your history lessons in uh, junior high and high school, which probably wasn't much, I agree, um, but in 1820s, uh, 18-teens, 1820s, uh, the biggest change in human history in terms of how we live happened, and that is what we call the first industrial revolution. And this moved how it changed how we organized our 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 our, our world. Um, people before had eighty percent of people worked in farming type um, industries, work uh, with livestock or agriculture. Eighty percent of the people, um, but all of a sudden, machines started doing more in a moment than what they could do in a full day of work. And they started having um, a steam engines. Uh, there started to be threshing type machines. And there was the first of this w- wave of human change that has happened over the last 200 years, which is the, the urbanization of, of our world. Today, a farm of thousands of acres can be run by a handful of people because of machinery. A few years ago, that would have been thousands of jobs. And so people uh, moved to the city hoping they could get a job in the factories that were making these machines, making textiles, um, uh, making these weaving type machinery. You can imagine. Um, Between 1820, when Charles Spurgeon was born, until the 1850s when he became a massively successful perhaps the most well-known celebrity preacher in, in uh, that era in uh, inner city London. And he became the pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle. Um, he, uh, the world had changed. The, the inner city of, of, of London, homelessness had gone up four times, 400%. There were families, not just people who couldn't stop, you know, enjoying uh, the bottle. <laughs> Whole families were living on street corners. And something happened that I didn't, I, 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 I only recently became aware of this. Uh, a lot of these, a lot of the wealthy churches in London that were attended by the aristocracy, attended by the townhouse set, uh, they didn't want to go to church there anymore because of the homelessness. They didn't want to live in there anymore. And they started moving out of the city. Churches started moving out to, to the, the, the wealthier uh, edges. Today, those edges are inner city London because London has grown so much. But then uh, the, the, the center city was smaller and they began to move out uh, to these outer areas. Um, Charles Spurgeon, pastor of Metropolitan Tabernacle, had to make a decision in the late 40s, early 50s on what they were going to do. Um, he had the biggest church in London by far. The most they could put in the building was 6,000 people because they had no PA and his voice could only carry so far. And they had multiple services, packed the house out. Um, they used the services almost every night of the week. They let the the crazy shout Methodists use it when they weren't using it. And um, <coughs> they, they just filled the house. Filled the house. Um, he had to make a decision. He had the money because it was the most successful church in London. <coughs> he had the money to leave. 
they could buy the most prestigious land out on the most prestigious corner of the city and there get away from the, the homelessness, the, the street crime. And he made a decision uh, not to do that. And he went to his church and he said, rather than hiding from the problems of our time, we should accept the problems of our time and we should seek to make a difference in our time. And the first poor houses, uh, that's what they call them then, poor houses. You go get help for the poor, you get soup, a soup kitchen, kind of a, what we would think of today as Goodwill and Salvation Army, those poor house uh, type places. The first ones in London were established by uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle because of the vision of Charles Spurgeon. Uh, they started building orphanages in the inner city, not just, not just out in the countryside where they had, they had put them. Uh, they started uh, teaching these kids how to read and write. Uh, they started feeding these people. And um, they attained such a reputation for this that some of the aristocracy that had left actually came back to go to that church because they liked the idea of helping those, those in need. As a result, uh, that church is, uh, 200 years later, is still an active real-world church. It's not like most of the churches of Europe, which they are tourist attractions. Of course, uh, uh, it is a tourist attraction because of its history. Um, but this six hours ago when they were having service, they, they probably had around five or six hundred people there worshiping. They had full Sunday schools. Uh, they had an active living church. Um, they had uh, twice the buildings burned down. Um, it caught fire in the early, uh, early part of the 1900s and they had to rebuild it. And then in World War II, an uh, incendiary bomb landed on it and uh, burnt the whole thing down. They had to rebuild it again. Um, let me tell you this. It's hard to kill a church that has a mission. And unfortunately, many of the churches that stylishly moved uh, out to the, the more trendy areas to stay away from the, the not-so-attractive needs that often were put in front of them, um, they, the, many of those churches are, are, are gone today, forgotten, uh, either tourist places uh, or completely abandoned, taken over, turned into uh, something else. Uh, they're gone, but they're still having church, a metropolitan tabernacle uh, in London, because they decided we will not turn away from the crowd. It's exhausting, yes. But we're going to take whatever we have, we're going to let Jesus bless it, and we're going to feed them with what we have. This is the choice of ministry. And so as a church, I want you to know, what would we do with a, uh, a special annual offering like this? Why would I take one up? What would we do with it? I've given you this commitment. First of all, <coughs> it'll only be used for direct ministry, or to directly pay for facility needs, or directly pay off uh, debt neither myself nor any other of our pastoral team will receive any of this heart for the house offering it will all go directly to the work I don't know the doors that the Lord would open for us <coughs> we have more connection now with ministering nonprofit organizations around us than we've ever had we have so many people in our church that have a heart for this. We have people in our church, I'm still finding out on a weekly basis, people that have been going every week for, for years and, 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 and helping and serving and blessing uh, needy people. But I want you to know, if you want to, the Bible says this, the person that 
that is kind to the needy, that sees the needs. It is as though they lend to the Lord. And the Lord doesn't just repay debts. He pays interest on his debts. And so, that's why we're doing this. And I want to challenge you in your life to see the needs that you're exposed to and not be exhausted by them. Don't be exhausted by them. Don't let them make you bitter. (laughs) Let them move you and say within your heart, I want to be used somehow of God in a manner that you can multiply and do something beyond my abilities. In Jesus' name. Our ushers have handed those slips out to you. If you need some time to think, to prepare, to plan, to budget, um, I, that's fine. You don't have to turn, uh, turn them in today or at any specific time. Um, you can turn them in today. Um, if you need some time, that's fine too. Let's all stand together all across the house. <clears throat> would you step out of the chair you're in? Would you make your way down here to the front? And as you come, would you let your heart consider the many blessings that God has done for you? the many open doors that the Lord has provided in your life. We're going to take some time. We're going to, we're going to pray. We're going, to, we're going to, to leave room in this service. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.